Director Sam Hopkinson does a masterful job of weaving previously unheard recordings, new interviews with mob insiders, and former investigators and well-filmed dramatic recreations. That's from Richard Roper of the Chicago Sun-Times talking about Fear City, New York versus the Mafia, a limited series which was just released on Netflix. It's three episodes, about two and a half hours. That will be our feature review here on Cinephile. In addition to that, in case you missed last week, Scott Rogowski, who is a two-time guest, has done such a phenomenal job, he got his own segment. That's right, Rags Time makes its debut today. Not only does it chime in after my rave review of Watchmen, but also the John Cassavetes film, Husbands. You'll want to listen to Rags Time, which is coming up. As I mentioned previously, Total Recall is now done. Joe and I have discussed uh, all the Academy Awards for the past 30 years and repicked them. But Mount Rushmore is still continuing, and in honor of Fear City, New York versus the Mafia, our Mount Rushmore of movies with New York in the title. It's about uh, 20 to 25 movies that Joe's here got on the list, so that's going to be a fun list to pour through. That, once again, is our Mount Rushmore. Please do go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you can post a review. I give my movies uh, out of Formula Police. Please rank us at a five stars. I appreciate everybody and their comments. I got one here from Redhead Holcomb. Big fan of the pod since the OG on ESPN. Can't tell you how many car trips, grocery store visits, and runs it's got me through. If you're still going through Apple TV, do yourself a favor and skip Defending Jacob and watch Mythic Quest. It's by far the most entertaining show on the lineup. All right, well, thank you for the advice. Uh, we, I believe we still have the uh, free preview here after Joe and I failed to cancel the free trial. So Defending Jacob, Chris Duffy, my friend, avid listener, he had uh, texted me that he liked it a lot, but I had heard mixed reviews. So I will, I will go with Redhead Holcomb. And skip Chris Evans and company. Maybe we'll give Mythic Quest a shot. Of course, it's a challenge right now. We all know that. A movie podcast with no movies out right now. But thankfully, there's enough stuff coming on streaming, enough stuff on Netflix. And I know a lot of you are discovering uh, things that you may have seen from previous episodes, such as Palm Springs. Carl Ravitz texted me. He just watched that. If you haven't seen Palm Springs, seriously, do yourself a favor and watch that because it is absolutely hysterical. Really great stuff there from uh, Andy Samberg and company. But let's dive in. I want to talk about Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. If you are even a casual listener of this podcast, you know how much I enjoy mob-related content. And Joe, was our producer, was the one who flagged it to me immediately. He says, oh, you'll like this. Here's a synopsis. Throughout the 1970s and 80s, the five families of the New York Mafia, Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchese, held a powerful and seemingly insurmountable grip on the city. In this three-part docu-series, award-winning documentarian Sam Hopkinson details the incredible story of the history-making organized crime investigation and prosecution case brought against New York's most formidable mob bosses. Through interviews with dozens of law enforcement officials, ex-mafia associates, and others, Fear City New York versus the Mafia sheds light on how the Mafia's control of unions, high-rise construction, and other in- industries netted billions for organized crime. Previously unheard surveillance recordings, news footage, and archival material paint a shocking and captivating portrait of this golden era of the mob. Terrific documentary. I mean, particularly as that synopsis reveals, it really focuses on the nitty gritty, right? The intricacies of how mob life is run. You know, I've talked previously about rewatching Casino, which I hadn't seen in about 15 years, and how much I love that first hour of the sh- of the movie because, you know, it's almost like a documentary. So it says he shows you how the mob is run and how money gets siphoned and where it goes to different parties, etc., and I think Fear City, New York versus the Mafia, what it does particularly well. And once again, you can watch it on Netflix. And we hope to have Sam Hopkinson with us next week on Cinephile. Is it shows you the inner machinations of this. And rather than focusing on the mobsters, which I think a lot of documentaries do, you know, whether it's John Gotti or whomever it may be, 
Sammy the Bull. This is focusing more on the law enforcement officials. And it really shows you how interesting the whole concept of wiretapping is. You know, how do you plant a bug in a guy's car? How do you get those recordings? How are you able to make all that work? And I think for a lot of us that we realize this, but when you watch the documentary, it's a pleasant reminder that these guys are working long hours. It's not much money. There's no glory in it, right? The glory is in the mob. Apparently, that's where movies and TV shows glorify that. What's so glorifying about the guy working a 16-hour shift, just listening to guys talk and waiting for some glimpse of information that these guys may trip up and they may get them sent away to the big house? And again, just like even you go back to The Godfather, right? He didn't want guys dealing with drugs. You know, one of the characters says, no, no drugs. You know, you got to deal with the so-called acceptable businesses. And each of those crime families I mentioned, you know, one ran sanitation. Again, you think of Tony Soprano and waste management. One that was in charge of the garment industry. One is in charge of construction. And each of them has a piece of the pie. And as Rudolph Giuliani makes clear, as an Italian-American who says he was pretty tough growing up, used to box, he said, I could have become a wise guy. Maybe that's how my path would have been. But I always hated the mafia. I said, these guys are the worst. He said, if you're successful, if you're a successful barber, you know what they do? They go over to you and go, hey, you're going to give us 30%. Why? Otherwise, you'll break your legs. Like, really? Like, that, that's what these guys are about. And he said, I just dedicated myself to trying to overcome what these guys did to not only to my community, but to my city. And Giuliani was the mayor from seven years, from 94 to 01, very memorably helped guide the city after 9-11. I could have some other thoughts about Giuliani now in today's era, but certainly at that time uh, was doing a lot in terms of trying to clean up the city. And even a couple of the other attorneys joke with the fact that Giuliani had this image of being a bit of a preener, right? Loves the camera. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But a guy who was a bit of a glory hound, maybe that was part of his appeal or part of his motivation. Regardless, what he was able to put together was a really intricate system, which was able to take down this crime syndicate. And at times, I thought I could have used a little bit of flash. I mean, it's a little bit dry at times um, in terms of just showing how it's done. Even from a filmmaking perspective, and again, I'm gonna, hopefully we'll get uh, Sam Hopkins in next week instead of file. But you know, it's a lot of recreations, okay? So you've got a guy today in the mob talking about his life back then. He's filmed in, you know, shadows and darkness. And then you're going back to stock footage of New York City of the 1970s, right? Just a random cab, a random uh, skyscraper. Then you're zooming in on a cassette tape playing. So you've got to use all those tricks in the documentaries that you do. Like, how do you make surveillance exciting? And at times, as I said, it really isn't. But through reenactments, and I think through the interviews, like most of the crime officials and these law enforcement guys are interesting guys, and they tell good stories. And there are a couple of wise guys who went away to prison for a decade or six years, and they tell their stories as well. So I thought it was interesting. And again, I I am uh, somebody who enjoys that genre quite a bit. I find it fascinating. And I think if you find it enjoyable, that you will also find it rewarding as well. Couple other reviews here. Mark Feeney of Boston Globe. The story Hobson presents is richer and far more disturbing than any that Hollywood storytelling has had to offer. It's true. You see some of these mob killings, and it's like, dude, there, there's nothing fanciful about this. It is stark, cold reality and just no holds barred murders. Alyssa, Alyssa, excuse me, Wilkinson of Fox. It's a boring choice to tell a story like this from the point of view of the FBI agents. Their perspective is well-trodden in TV and movies, and New York's relationship to the mob is not exactly hidden history. Well, thumbs down there. So again, if you want to hear from the mob view, no, this is about the law enforcement guys. Clearly, Alyssa was not a fan. And Brian Tallarico, RogerEbert.com. It can be a little dry at times, but it's an easy watch, a reminder of how dedicated professionals and breakthroughs in technology can change law and order. That's true. Technology can often be a really uh, impactful thing when it comes to taking down 
crime figures. I'll give it three and a half Maple Leafs. Once again, it's a three-part limited series on Netflix. It's about two and a half hours total, 40 minutes for the first two episodes, a little over an hour for the final one. Three and a half Maple Leafs, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. Joe? I loved it, Adnan. Um, I didn't really know or understand what you know the, the Rico laws were. I mean, you know, watching The Sopranos, all of that, I had a, a taste and I could gather context clues, but to actually have them break down in depth exactly what this commission case was, who the five bosses were, it just made me appreciate shows like The Sopranos for how accurately they got um, mafia lifestyle together. And how, how, how happy do you think Giuliani was for getting an interview that was just about his prosecuting days right now? <laughs> exactly. Nothing about his alliance and support of POTUS. Just, hey, Rudy, let's go back to the glory days, right? Oh, yeah, that was the good times. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, as Rudy Giuliani put, I, it, to give a full understanding of how the mafia had their tentacles in every single industry you know, and how they were just making money hand over fist and how it was completely unregulated and unchecked by the FBI. It, I thought it was a fascinating documentary. You're right that the reenactments were um, really helpful, useful, especially with, you know, when they're going through the jury, when all these mafia bosses are on trial and they actually reenact the jury listening to the prosecutor's case. I thought all, all in all, it was an excellent documentary and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, in terms of other things to watch, I've obviously been thrilled that sports is back. So I've been immersed and grateful to be, uh, watching so much baseball. But I've also spent a lot of time reading, I'm sure many of you have during the pandemic, and next week on Cinephile, I will give you a full review of the book that I've been reading. As I told you previously, Jim Carrey's book, I read in, I think, three and a half days. Charlie Kaufman's book, taking me three and a half weeks. It's called Ant Kind. It is at times brilliant. It is at times boring. But I have an in-depth review coming up next week. 706 pages. I'm at about 556. I got 150 left. So if you're wondering... Hey, don't you watch anything else this week? No, no, trust me. I watched a lot of baseball and I did a lot of reading. Charlie Kopp and his brain is interesting. I know Joe has reached out to his people. Hopefully, God willing, we can get him on the podcast because trust me, this is a book that I have a lot of questions about. But in terms of entertainment news, before we get to rags time, the Toronto International Film Festival. Yes, my hometown, TIFF, is one of the great things that Toronto has to offer. Normally, there's about 300 movies that they will give up for the audience. Um, you know, I myself have attended the festival. I was, you know, attended at least five, six, seven years in a row before I moved to the States. Normally 300, it's now going to be just 50. But here's how it's looking. Spike Lee's David Burns American Utopia will open the festival. I believe that is a uh, stage play, which he shot that Spike did. It's not an original film. It is a uh, adaptation, so to speak, or I guess a recreation of a play. Uh, it's also going to close a special presentation, Mira Nair's latest, the miniseries A Suitable Boy, which is based on Vikram Seth's novel of the same name. I like Mira Nair's work a lot, including The Namesake and Monsoon Wedding. Chloe Zhao's Francis McDormand starring Nomad Land will stream at the festival. You've also got uh, Vinterberg's Mads Mikkelsen drama, Another Round. Idris Elba's got a film called Concrete Cowboy. Mark Wahlberg uh, drama, Good Joe Bell. And uh, some other films as well. A number of this year's offerings hail from actors who have taken their talents behind the camera. Halle Berry, directing a movie called Bruised. Regina King, who I raved about in Watchmen, has a film called One Night in Miami. And Viggo Mortensen, a film he directed called Falling, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January. So all of them bringing that to the film festival. And 46% of this year's titles coming from female filmmakers. So that is nice to see. Uh, Film Fest always takes place in mid-September in Toronto, so September 10th to the 19th, 
both a limited physical event and an online experience. Combination of physical screenings and drive-ins, digital screenings, virtual red carpets, press conferences, etc. So I'm thrilled that Toronto is going to keep this going because it really is a crown jewel. Not only the city, but it is one of the premier film festivals in the world. Most people would agree it's probably only second behind the Cannes Film Festival. Speaking of stuff close to my heart, back to the mob ties, Showtime developing an hour-long drama from Brian Grazer, Terrence Winter, and Nicholas Pileggi. That's about as heavy-hitting as it gets. You know Brian Grazer and his incredible hair and his collaboration with Ron Howard. Terry Winter, Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos wrote a ton of episodes. He created and executive produced Boardwalk Empire. Also did Vinyl, but let's not focus on that. And Nicholas Pileggi. He, of course, wrote Wise Guy, which was adapted into Goodfellas and also co-wrote Casino with Scorsese. So... The fact that we have an hour-long drama from these guys, this is about as heavy-hitting as it gets. Uh, can't wait. I, don't, I mean, listen, Grazer also should be known when it comes to TV, one of my favorite shows, Arrested Development. He also executive produced. I don't know how much he was involved with it, but he's not just a filmmaker and a guy who uh, works in tandem with Ron Howard. But, Joe, no idea what it's about, but it's obviously going to be mob-heavy when you got Terry Winter, Grazer, and Pelleggi involved. Yeah, this is one of those headlines where I, I, I read it and I just go, sign me up. I don't need to know anything else. I'm going to try to go into it as blind as I can, but I'm all in on this mob drama series. What about you? Oh, yeah, I can't wait, man. Those guys, I mean, that you know that there's a real authenticity to their writing and they clearly know the terrain very well. PBS is preparing to debut a documentary channel on Amazon Prime Video that will feature nearly 900 hours of programming, including the complete filmography of Ken Burns. Greatest documentarian alive, Prime Video, August 4th. It's going to cost you $3.99 a month, but you can watch all the Ken Burns you want. I mean, I loved baseball. I loved jazz. Um, I saw parts of the Civil War. Did not watch Vietnam. Saw a little bit of the Roosevelt. And he's got his latest, which is country music. Eight episodes focusing on the music genre's history and importance to American culture. This guy's been doing documentaries for nearly four decades. And I love the fact that he called out The Last Dance because he hated the fact that Jordan was a producer on it. Where are you on Ken Burns, Joe? I don't know if you're going to be paying four bucks a month just to watch Prime Video to watch Ken Burns, but how good a documentarian is he in your estimation? One of the one of the best. One, I'm still waiting for an 11th inning for baseball to come in. But yeah, I've seen jazz. I've seen Brooklyn Bridge. I've seen baseball. He lays it out so clearly. So It's so interesting and... He, he can use nostalgia in a way that I think other documentaries, doc, documentarians don't. So I'm all for it, and I will pay $4 for <laughs> just to watch a few Ken Burns documentaries. Yeah, this will not yeah. be a free trial that we try to get rid of. There's no way you're escaping this. <laughs> um, and lastly, Netflix is letting people choose the speed at which they want to watch something on their phone or tablet. How about this? You can now go the 1.25 or 1.5 speed for faster watching. Slightly fewer options than YouTube, which allows people to slow all the way down to 0.25. Subscribers must opt in to use the playback speeds with every single title they want to watch. It won't just remain active when you pick something else to watch. So this prevents people from accidentally watching everything at 1.5 speed if they don't want to. Feature is rolling out tomorrow. will be available to everyone globally in the coming weeks. And by the way, Netflix announced it was testing the feature in 2019, and they got backlash for it. Aaron Paul, love him, of course, from Breaking Bad, and director Brad Bird spoke out against Netflix's decision to introduce the playback controls. Distributors don't get to change the way the content is presented. Netflix is saying, oh, yeah, well, tough luck. That's how we're going to do it. It's interesting. I never used to do it with podcasts. Mark Simon said he used to you know, does it with his podcast. He did, couldn't do it with me, I think, because I talk so fast. But I do it now with podcasts, Joe. And I got to tell you, it's pretty seamless. I listen to Talking Sopranos with Michael Imperioli, Steve Sharippa at one and a half speed. You know, I go for a jog. I listen to Lorraine Bracco. She was on the latest episode. 
great, 50 minutes, but I listen to it in 30, right? which is one and a half speed. Yeah, I, honestly, when people are pausing in this and that, you can just fly through it. So uh, I don't know how I feel about it with movies. I think that's a different story. I mean, if I just wanted to jump ahead of the scene, and we've already seen it, I would jump ahead. I would never, a movie I haven't seen, I wouldn't want to watch it at a faster speed. So I don't know necessarily how it works for movies, but I'll tell you for podcasts, I don't take offense when someone says, oh, I listen to your podcast at one and a half speed. I'm like, great. If you can follow it all, good for you. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, I do it for podcasts too. I listen to Spanish podcasts and they're like beginner Spanish podcasts, but at 1.5 speeds, they become intermediate podcasts. So I do it for that. But I I mean, I'm all for it for movies too, um, in the sense, you know, a movie like a bad action movie like Suicide Squad or Aquaman, if I want to throw that on, I'm just looking at it for the action sequences, the fight scenes. I'll fast forward through the dialogue. I don't need that. I know where the story's going, you know? Yeah, that's actually a good point. For action movies, it may make sense. And The Old Guard with Charlie's Theron, I haven't yet watched on Netflix. Maybe I'll wait till the feature is going, then I'll just fly through because you're right. I, uh, I can't imagine stimulating start to finish. That's your news. That's your review. Time now for Rags Time. Scott Rogowski, since 2011, he's hosted Running Late with Scott Rogowski, his live talk show. Of course, you know him from HQ Trivia, which was a huge hit. He then went and hosted Change Up With Me, our baseball show on DAZN. Uh, That has since bit the dust, although he remains an avid fan of the New York Mets. He gained notoriety as the creator of several viral videos, including 10 hours of walking in New York City as a Jew and taking fake book covers on the subway. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go watch that again. But before I do, I want you to listen to Rags Time. He's a beauty. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Get ready, guys and gals. It's time for Rags Time with Scott Rogowski. I mean, how about that open? This first time ever, two-time guest Scott Rogowski. He's done such a spectacular job. He now gets his own segment. It is Rags time. How about that open, Rags? You got to love the production. It's it's bringing me back to the sting, Adnan. Redford and Newman. I don't know between the two of us who would be who, but it's nice that Redford is top of mind right now, thanks to the Watchmen. President Robert Redford. How about that? If I had to guess an actor who could be presidential, I mean, listen, back in the day, people are still floored that, look at Back to the Future, Ronald Reagan became president. But Redford, I, I could see it. Like, Civic-minded, politically astute, smart guy, Watchman, incredible. I'm glad you saw it. One of many great things about that series. Yeah, see, I'm one of the few guests of yours who actually listens to your podcast. But I'm always a week behind now, right? I'm, 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 this is meta situation where I'm a guest on your show having to react to the podcast from the previous week because I don't know what's going on this week necessarily. <laughs> but last week you mentioned Watchmen, talk about the Emmy nominations. You inspired me to finish the series that I had started and had to finish it. Holy moly. This is one of the best limited series they're calling it that I've ever seen on TV. The concept, the premise, the writing, the direction, everything, the acting, Adnan. I mean, Jeremy Irons was one of the guys you highlighted in your review. And I have to say, it, it must be the greatest performance by an actor with with a, a mouth prosthetics ventures since brando in the godfather where yes cotton balls in the mouth but then he actually had an appliance made for the filming 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at the list, if we did like a top 10 of like great mouth prosthetic performances, Charlize Theron and Monster, you should get big choppers the whole time. Uh, you get a couple. Listen, Jonah Hill, Wolf of Wall Street. Absolutely. Mike Myers, Austin Powers. I'm trying to think. Martin Short comes to mind as someone who's worn that. Not, not Jiminy Glick, maybe, but there's some Martin Short character I have in my head that I can't quite. I don't know if it's Father of the Bride, maybe Inner Space. You never know. Yeah, maybe we could throw it to your listeners. We can make, that, that could be a Mount Rushmore. Uh, the, yeah. the best performances with dentures. But Jeremy Irons, that, that Adrian Veidt character, it's so bizarre, so insane, but he brings this logic to it, this cold logic. And, and oh my goodness, the, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but... No, but let's spoil it with a couple of things. How about when he gets catapulted to like outer space? I mean, that yeah. entire sequence was incredible. How about the best line of the whole series where he goes, the defense rests. The giant fart. <laughs> Episode seven. If you watch only one scene of Jeremy Irons, that is a fart. That is flatulence personified by an Academy Award winning actor. And it brings me back to Austin Powers in terms of the greatest fart scenes of all time. In the bathroom or Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Daniels Daniels on the toilet. I think Blazing Saddles, the campfire scene is incredible. All eating beans. I mean, that's in the Mount Rushmore. That's another Mount Rushmore. Okay, but this is not Mount Rushmore. This is rags time. So this Mm -hmm. is a whole whole different segment. And you wanted me to discuss... Another film from the 70s this week, right? Yeah, I cannot wait for this. So as, as a preamble here, when you were watching the Criterion Channel during the pandemic, you're like, I'm watching Cassavetti's Husbands. I'm like, really? I'm like, I, Cassavetti's is a name synonymous with film greatness. I listen to Talking Sopranos, Michael Imperiola, and he's like, oh, dude, Cassavetti's changed my life. I could watch the movies all day. He's revered because he's the father of independent cinema, shadows, faces, woman of the influence. But I've never and seen the father Husbands. of Nick Cassavetti. And your review, I'm going to think, is a little more tepid than maybe others might think. Well, look, this is one of those movies for me uh, be, being a, an aspiring cineast, cinephile. Um, you are one. You're not aspiring, but go ahead. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going back to maybe 10, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when I really started getting into films. And it, it's, it, it has like a mythic status, right? I always had heard Husbands. And maybe it was because of the infamous Dick Cavett appearance by Ben Gazzara, Peter Falk, and Cassavetes when they, when they come on Dick Cavett show to promote the movie. They're, they're blind drunk and uh, just being total jackasses on television. Th- th- this aired. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I sort of went into a little blind. Tried to watch it for the first time a few months ago. Could not get through it all. Adnan, because it just, yeah. it's just one of these movies where I think it's being the right mindset. Maybe it's, it's a factor of, you know, not being in a theater and being captive and being forced to pay attention for two and a half hours. <laughs> Maybe it's it, maybe it is the attention span, or maybe it's just the way the film was made at, at the time. Contemporary reviews were not very kind for the most part. I mean, Vincent Canby called it in, 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 interminably long, oh. unbearably long. Pauline Kale, infantile and offensive. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's the type of movie. Basically, if, if you like if you like Apatow's This Is Forty, no, no, twenty minutes longer than this is the movie for you. <laughs> oh, see, that's disappointing. Like, I love Apatow, but this is 40, not one of his best. I just love that cast. You used to do a great uh, change up on the zone. By the way, Will Folger loved the shout out you gave last week. He's an avid listener. Karen Rittner is definitely locked in. You, you, do, you used to do a Peter Falk impression on the show, a Columbo. So I hear Peter Falk is in there. Ben Gazzara, I love. Like, I, I thought this could be a can't miss. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's, that, that, that's part of the appeal because you see these great actors and you, you want to know what all this genius together in one film can do. And 
you know, for me, I watched it again because you asked me to, and I got through it this time. It's there are moments, there are flashes of brilliance, some nice witty dialogue, you know. It, but on the whole, you know, if look, if you want to see Peter Falk play basketball against John Cassavetes, then then this is again, this is the one for you. Nice little basketball scene at Al Roon's Health Club. <laughs> There's some nice vintage shots of New York, you know, and they go to London and they're totally insane. I mean, what it comes down to is this is pure straight male ego. It's white privilege. It's just, it it reeks of it. I mean, these are guys who really have no issues, no cares in the world, except the ones that they bring upon themselves. Just to give a little capsule review here and synopsis, the film starts off, by the way, the best part of the movie is the opening scene. It's a montage of snapshots you know, like, like uh, candidates from pool parties and, and gatherings of these four friends. So you get introduced to Gazzara and, and, and Falk and Cassavetes and David Rollins, Gina's brother, who plays Stuart, who actually is the character that kicks off the plot. We, don't, we never really see him in action because he dies of a heart attack in his 40s. And the first scene is them going to the funeral. So but we see him in these montage and there's this amazing bass driven, percussive, funky jazz instrumental that plays underneath and that's the best part of the movie harry ends up staying in london <laughs> ben gazara's character he's like i'm staying and, and and he's gonna leave his wife behind who he was assaulting earlier in the film so there's a lot of misogyny there's a lot of you know there's a lot of that going on but basically these guys like apatow's character i mean these are just privileged white guys who don't have to really deal with any issues in their lives except oh their friend dies Suddenly, and now, now they have something to grieve and something to really uh, rack their brains about. So they, they, you know, what's their response? More drinking, drugging, partying, like they've done their whole lives, you know. So, you know, when you think about Cassavetes himself, when you look into his biography. I mean, this guy, you know, his mother was an actress. He went to a private schools. He, you know, th- these are just guys who don't have any issues. Meanwhile, when you think about all the people out there who are struggling, who who friends whose friends are murdered when they're in, in elementary school, in high school. You know what I mean? These are suburban privileged white guys. And it's just through the lens of that in 2020, watching this movie, you, you really don't have much patience for it, frankly. All right. Thumbs down for Cassavetes. That's unfortunate. But I do want to circle back to Watchmen because the biggest thing I found, Rags, is just how prescient it was. I mean, this show came out last fall. And as you touched on, they're, they're hitting on the social issues and the racial inequality, which has existed for obviously centuries in this country, and the whole issue of masks. I mean, there are scenes where they're talking about, no, people that wear masks can't be trusted. I said, oh, my, this is insane how they predicted the world today just a few short months ago. It, it is pretty wild, but it also speaks to the fact that, look, you know, the world or the country, no, I'd say the world sort of woke up to this Black Lives Matter movement in the wake of George Floyd and that videotape. But really, first of all, Black Lives Matter has been around for five years. And of course, civil rights struggles have been going on for 100 years. And for most white people, it was just kind of something that we saw in the news and, oh, huh, Black Lives Matter. OK, we never really understood what was going on. We never really grasped it. But clearly, you know, Damien Lindelof created The Watchmen using characters based on the, the comic book. He's a white guy. But if you look at the credits, very diverse cast of co-writers, directors, a lot of women, people of color. And of course, you got Regina King front and center leading the series. So these are people who they didn't need George Floyd's video to wake them up. They knew what was going on. They wrote this thing probably years ago when you think about the production that's involved. So it's not that surprising that, uh, you know, people who, who are engaged in that mindset and that perspective who, who are, quote unquote, woke are writing about that before 
the rest of the world caught up to them. And that's kind of what happened here because, you know, you, you could have predicted the pandemic with the mask. I mean, that's totally bizarre. The fact that they're all wearing masks. But the themes of, of racial inequality, and I love the idea of America grappling with this and actually facing it. And Henry Louis Gates as the Secretary of Treasury, they've got the Cultural Center where you can go and find your ancestors and see if you're eligible for reparations. And Tulsa, the fact that Tulsa, Oklahoma becomes this, this, this focal point of the nation, which I've been to Tulsa. It's a pretty cool city. You've got the Woody Guthrie Center. There's the, uh, what is it, the Kaiser Foundation, George Kaiser family, who's put millions and millions of dollars into rehabilitating the downtown areas, making it a very friendly place for artists. They provide free housing and loft spaces. It, it, it actually is a lot of potential in Tulsa, but they do have this history that really hasn't been addressed, the Tulsa massacre. And I love that about Watchmen too, how that is the jumping off point. We see in that first scene, in an incredibly done scene, but that is a, I mean, the fact that we're not all taught that growing up at, now you grew up in Canada, so I can't really put it on you, but as an American, I grew up New York state, you know, we, we, we learn American history, we go to civics class, social studies, not once was this Tulsa massacre, even up through high school, college, I never heard about this thing, once. There's the Wilmington massacre, 1898, there's, there's Rose, uh, Rosewood in Florida. This is, there's a pattern of this. And, the, and it's just it's just incredible that this is a massive part of our country that's completely glossed over the history of our country. But Washman puts it front and center because in their alternate reality, their, you know, their, their revisionist future, they've sort of said, wait, we're going to grapple with this in our fictional world and maybe make it a model for what America could be, which is interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's one thing to be entertaining, but to also be insightful and educational. I mean, if you can do that, I mean, you're hitting a home run every time. And you're right. Full credit to Damon Lindelof. Particular episodes, episode five, the Tim Blake Nelson standalone episode, I found it heart-wrenchingly sad and poignant and was moved by it. And episode six, I thought was just incredible. I mean, film noir masterpiece. When she swallows her grandfather's memories, outstanding from start to finish. Yeah, I know this, the sci-fi elements of that. I mean, the nostalgic pills. I mean, if you like Philip K. Dick, if, if you like, uh, you know, a, a, any of those, I mean, Twilight Zone and Ray Bradbury and just, I mean, really, there's there's incredibly, you know, poignant and, and, and relevant sci-fi elements to this thing, but also dealing with our realities and our history, the, the mesh of all of that. I've never seen anything like it before. I mean, it, it truly, it does harken back a little bit to Rod Serling and Twilight Zone because they brought a lot of social issues to the bear in their very subtle way. This is actually probably less subtle in a sense, <laughs> but you know, they're using real allegory and metaphor for a lot of things. But this, I mean, this puts it straight out there. It's like, look, here's a future reality where we grapple with our, our racial past and we, we give reparations. And what would be the reaction of these white people, these white supremacists? They're now ostracized, put into Nixonville. You know, they're put into you know, the, the, the living in these trailer parks and they're the ones that are assaulted by the police and, you know, brutalized as frankly, maybe they should be. If you're, if you're that, if you're that kind of an awful person, I mean, when you think about who should be brutalized by the state, it should be racists, not, right. not, not the, not the minority being oppressed the way we see it today. My only quibble, I wish there was a lot more Don Johnson. I mean, I love Don Johnson. I mean, as soon as he showed up, I'm like, yeah, I don't know Don Johnson was in this. I'm like, oh wait, not something else happened. Okay. I want to see more Dakota Johnson. There was none of that. <laughs> I also think my, my, my main quibble, I wish, you know, again, not to spoil anything, but Louis Gossett Jr., who was looking fairly senior, I should add. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 the, final, the final scenes of the movie there, I just wish that old man 
could have gotten one last butt fuck in before before the movie wrapped. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it there for those who haven't seen it. It would have been nice to see that 105 year old Lewis Gossett Jr. just get one more boom. Right, what's this? That was a startling sequence. I think it was episode five. And, and yeah, no, yeah, it was the Tim Lake episode. And he's like, take off your masks. You're never going to see what I look like. <laughs> Overall, and then Watchmen, it, pretty unrealistic, if you ask me. I don't buy into the reality of it. I mean, the fact that these white supremacists could be smart enough to create some kind of teleportation device, there's no way that could happen in real life. Uh, that was tremendous. Great stuff from Scott Rogowski. Not only insightful and passionate, but also very funny. Every week, Rags time. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him on Instagram, at Scott Rogowski. Do you want to preview what you're going to do next week? I, I don't think you know yet, right? You want to kind of just let it sit, and whatever you want to do, you're going to do, right? I mean, listen, listen I'm, I'm, for, for my critiques of husbands, uh, I've been looking into Cassavetti's oeuvre, and I haven't really seen much oh. of it. A Woman Under the Influence, Shadows, which actually deals with racial issues of the time. That was his first direct directing uh yeah I guess in the late fifties, right? Yeah. I want to see those movies. Maybe I'll maybe I'll stay in this Cassavetti's track or <laughs> or stick with the seventies and go with I don't know, there's a movie called uh I was looking at this movie called was it like uh, what is it? What is it? Uh, I completely lost it. Harry and the pickpockets or something. It's about a pickpocketer. You know what I'm talking okay. about? Uh, I know Pickpocket, which is the Robert Bresson film, but Harry in the Pickpocket, I'm not yeah, aware Harry, of. Harry in your pocket. Oh, okay. Harry, Harry, have you heard of this? I haven't heard of Harry in your pocket. I haven't heard of it either, but apparently Walter Pigeon has a, has, a very, has a very good role. James Coburn's in this thing. Oh, I love James Coburn. Okay, sold. Comedy drama, 1973, about a team of professional pickpockets. So uh, this this came up on my you know recommended list after after husband. So maybe maybe these <laughs> indie films. Tremendous. Uh, by the way, when are you going to change or update your Twitter bio? Currently stands at host change up on his own. I love the fact it's a picture of you and me as the header. But when are you going to change it up? Quiz Daddy Emeritus. That's fine. But are you going to not change? I thought I no. changed it already because our our, our change up account's been dead for uh, months now. So no. it's just <laughs> I host should. change. Yeah. I should give that a change. You're right. Oh, boy. <laughs> I get a profile. I'm doing it right now. This is exciting. Okay. Exciting audio. Go on. <laughs> Great stuff Sorry, from Scott Rogowski. We're, we're changing time. things up. We're yeah, changing, we're changing things up. We are changing things up. Rags time. Love it. Thanks, man. Love you too, pal. Stay safe out there. Mount Rushmore. Once again, rags time every week here on Cinephile. Now it's time for the Mount Rushmore movies with New York in the title. About 20 to 25 movies that Joe's listed out here. Uh, pretty good. Pretty good list here. I, I didn't realize it was actually that many. You think of Autumn in New York. Okay, Escape from New York. Sure. Gangs of New York absolutely is in there. I love Scorsese's film. The vision of it. The chutzpah. The production design from Dante Ferretti shooting at Fellini's Cinecitta Studios. Daniel Day-Lewis's larger-than-life performance. The music. You uh, 2 even contributed. Howard Shore as well. The costume design. Uh, the script, which is co-written by Steve Zalian. Um of course, won an Oscar for Schindler's List. I love everything about Gangs in New York. It's got a lot of style to it. As Daniel Day-Lewis says, you got the sand to prove yourself. 
Gangs in New York is in. I want some stand-up. I'm going with George Carlin jamming in New York, 1992. If my brother's listening, he'll laugh because we used to have the cassette tape. George Carlin is one of my favorite comedians, and that particularly, I remember listening to that cassette tape. It, I, I, I honestly, I can't think of any cassette tapes I listened to more than that. It's one of the funniest things ever. He's got a bit called Save the, the Planet is Fine. He's got one about golf courses. I swear I heard it when I was 14. I said, okay, I'm never golfing again because he said it's for rich, white, entitled people and we could just get rid of the golf courses and have the homeless live there. George Carlin jamming in New York, the cassette tape, as funny as, as any stand-up I've ever heard in my life. That's in there. Um, this gets a little bit tricky because I kind of want to go with, I am going to go with New York stories because it's three different stories. One of them, the one that Coppola did, is terrible. The one that Woody Allen did, it's called Oedipus something, it's decent. The one that Scorsese did, of course, is brilliant. And it's called Life Lessons. And it stars Nick Nolte. Steve Buscemi's a small role. Uh, Rosanna Arquette. Or is it Patricia Arquette? I never, I always confuse the two. One of the Arquettes. And it's about a painter who feels torn between his art and his love. And he cannot tell a lie. He has this real integrity about his painting, which ends up being a downfall in his personal life. Uh, I thought it was an incredible movie. It's one of the best ways I've ever seen about artists as a creator. Richard Price who I love from Clockers and uh, Freedomland. He actually wrote the script and Marty directed it. It's about 48 minutes, but it's a great, great little short. New York stories. And lastly, I will, jeez, uh, we got Sunday New York. Synecdoche, New York. I kind of want to get in there in case we get Charlie Kaufman because uh, Charlie Kaufman would be great to have on here. But no, Synecdoche, New York to me was a bit of a mess, although I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Winning time, Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. F that. I hate Reggie Miller because uh, I cheered for the Knicks. Um, so you know what? I will go with Escape from New York. Tough not to get John Carpenter in there. My boy Max Brothers would never let me hear the end of it. So my four is going to be Gangs of New York, George Carlin jamming in New York, Escape from New York, and New York Stories. Honorable mention to New York, New York, Liza Minnelli, Robert De Niro, a musical that I think has more greatness in it than bad, although it does definitely have uh, its moments of weakness, which is why it was hammered by the critics. That's my Mount Rushmore. Joe, what do you got? You know, we're actually kind of similar this week. I got I got Escape from New York because I just love Kurt Russell's name in it, Snape Pliskin. And he always accentuates the S when he says his name, Snape Pliskin. I love that movie so much. Um, I'm also going to go with Gangs of New York for obvious reasons. It's, it's, it's an absolutely incredible movie. Um, even though you don't, you were cheering for the Knicks, I grew up a shooting guard. I love Reggie Miller, so I am going to put... Re uh, winning time, Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks and that rivalry of the mid-90s. Um, and then my last one, it's going to be Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Adnan, it may be a movie I've seen, I don't know, 150 times. I'm not exaggerating. I also think it's one of the sequels that is better than the original film. So those are my four, Escape from New York, Winning Time, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, and Gangs of New York. Wow. An absolute upset. Home Alone 2. You're all in on Pesci <laughs> and Daniel Stern. I mean, that is that is stunning. Tweet us right now. Cinephile Pod. Do you agree with Joe or do you think he's lost his mind? You can tweet me as well at Adnan <laughs> S. For you know, they tell us market research. Podcasts are supposed to be between 37 and 47 minutes. So hallelujah. We actually got it in there. Normally I'm blabbing too much, but uh, less is more. We'll see. Maybe the, the downloads will increase if you go a little shorter. One thing that's not going away is Rags time with Scott Rogowski because he's awesome. Uh, next week, like I said, I'm going to do a book review, 706 pages. Charlie Kaufman's book, Ant Kind, also big news here. Joey's been telling me for months, you love De Palma, watch Blowout. It's one of my favorite movies ever. I'm a sound engineer. Blowout is now on Amazon Prime, so i got to have to watch that. 
Dr. Zhivago, I got on the DVR. I promised Dan Stanzik I'd watch that, so who knows? We'll watch a bunch of that. There are some good titles coming to Netflix in August, including Jimmy Fox's new movie, so we'll keep you abreast of all that. Please, please, please let sports continue. Uh, I'm Adam Nimberg. Thank you so much for listening to Cinephile. Thanks to Joe. Thanks to Rags. Thanks to all of you. You guys are the best. I'll see you at the movies. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.